For as long as I uh, can remember, I have uh, loved trains. New trains, old trains, long trains, short trains. And my love of trains actually started uh, as a child. My beloved brother David, who happens to be sitting here this morning, uh, visiting from Santa Fe, sitting next to my wife Regina, uh, he and I both as children had model trains. David had an HO gauge set, mine was the smaller N gauge version. And with his set, we spent hours, weeks, even months building a huge train set on a huge piece of wood that we placed on our grandmother's dining room table. What a grandmother to let us take over her, grand, her dining room table for months on end. We created mountains out of wire mesh and paper mache with tunnels for trains to pass through, and a town with streets paved with sandpaper. The town was lit. Matchbox cars lined the streets, and there was no limit to our imaginations. We spent countless hours creating and playing and being entranced by the world of trains. Thank you, David. In those years, it was my family that took me to Durango, Colorado for the first time, where I had my chance, my first chance to ride the Durango-Silverton Narrow Gauge Railroad. Maybe some of you have been on it. And as you know, the route travels between Durango and Silverton, and it's spectacular with vistas and cliffs and magnificent scenery. And I've been on that train a bunch of times, and each time my mind returns to my grandmother's house and my brother and the train set we built so long ago. We all know what the last few years have felt like. In the midst of all the good that is happening, I cannot say that I know very many people who are not simply fed up and just sick and tired of so many different things, including COVID. On top of all the things happening in our country and world, I've run into a lot of people who are saying to me, I I'm just done with all this negative stuff. The fighting, the anger, the hostility, the acting out, the childish behavior, the hostility, the lack of civility, the violence, the, the lack of leadership in any from all political perspectives and what seems to be the new normal. And as I think about the time we're living in, I've been thinking a lot about trains, as so much of what has been happening makes a lot of us feel like things are off the rails, so to speak. In fact, there have been moments in which I have felt derailed like a train that has come off of its tracks. Now, if you've ever felt things are off the rails, or if you have felt a bit derailed yourself, you are not alone because many very good, wonderful people are wondering, how do we live at this time? How do we frame it? How do we live and move and have our being in the midst of all this stuff that's going on? And what makes it harder, at least at times for me, is that even some faith leaders have totally gone off the tracks. Well, the bottom line, like other passages in history, our time right now is a hard time at so many levels for so many people. So many of us are feeling worn out and exhausted and just have this heaviness within us. But what if there is a path we can follow? What if we don't need just to be passive observers and take it? What if feeling overwhelmed does not need to be one of our responses to all that's happening? What if, in fact, you and I 
are in the right place at the right time. And what if being in the right place in the right time, in fact, can offer us not only hope, but clarity and empowerment and a path to follow? Our first reading today is from the well-known book of Esther. And I'd like to offer you a, a summary of the story because I think it has some things to say to us now. About 500 years before Jesus was born, there was a fellow named, Regina pronounced the king's name, I think it's a mess, but he was also known as King Xerxes, which is much easier to say. So I'm just going to call him King Xerxes. And he ruled over 128 provinces from India all the way to Ethiopia. You see, Xerxes was king of Persia. It was a massive empire. And I want you to picture this. If you look a map, at a map of today's world, ancient Persia stretched from India to Greece to Western Africa to Turkey. It was huge. And there was a city called Zusa, which is where the king had his winter palace. It's interesting as an aside note, over the years, archaeologists made a lot of discoveries in the area of what was Susa, including remnants of a large palace. And what was, one, what was once one of the world's grandest cities is now a mound of dirt in Iran. Well, anyway, King Xerxes was married to Queen Vashti. Things did not end very happily for the two. In chapter 1 of Esther, we find these excerpts. Seven days into a party, the king was high on wine. He ordered his servants to bring him Queen Vashti in her royal crown. He wanted to show off her beauty to the guests and the officials. She was extremely good-looking, but Queen Vashti refused to come, and so the king lost his temper. King Xerxes immediately consults with his advisors. They tell him that if he does not do something about the queen's refusal to come to him, that men all over the empire will start to have trouble with their wives. And they said to him that wives will take the queen's actions as encouragement not to always do what their husbands want. Boy, what a... I don't even have any comments about what it's... <laughs> I had some things written down, but I'm just going to cross it out. Anyway, the king does heed the advice he has given, and he banishes his wife from the palace... And he issues an order that women must honor their husbands. Well, on top of this, the king orders his staff to go and find him another queen. So the search process began, and after time, a woman named Esther is brought to the king. In chapter 2, it reads, The king fell in love with Esther far more than any of the other women. He was totally smitten by her. He placed a royal crown on her head and made her queen. Everything's fine and dandy, but it's important to point out that long before all this, when Esther was a child, she was raised by her cousin named Mordecai because her father and mother were not around. So her cousin Mordecai raised her. It's also critical to note that Esther, Mordecai, and her extended family were all Jewish. This is something that King Xerxes, a Gentile, did not know about Esther. Well, after the marriage and Esther became queen, there was a guy that worked for the king named Haman, and he had a very powerful position and an enormous ego. And because of his position and because of his ego, 
The king deferred to Haman and ordered that all people, whenever they saw Haman, should bow down to him. Well, everyone in Persia complied with this order except for one person, Mordecai, Esther's cousin, who raised her. Well, Haman was infuriated that Mordecai would not bow down before him. Haman finds out that Mordecai is Jewish, so he comes up with a horrific plan. He said to the king, there's an odd set of people scattered throughout your kingdom. Their customs and ways are different from ours. They are an affront. King, don't put up with them. They're a scourge on our society. If it pleases the king, destroy these people, the Jews. Well, Haman laid out a plan before the king and the date it should happen, and the king agreed with Haman's plan, not knowing that his beloved Esther was Jewish. So he wrote the order that all Jews should be killed. He even built gallows outside of his palace where he was going to hang Mordecai. When Mordecai, again the fellow who raised Esther, learned about the king's order to kill all of his fellow Jews, he went out in the streets and cried in loud, bitter cries. All the Jews in the kingdom lamented, including Esther. Well, over time, through a series of back-channel communications, Mordecai convinces Queen Esther to go to the king to try and change his mind about the order to kill all the Jews. The problem, there was a rule at the time, if somebody went before the king, no matter who they were, without being asked by the king to come before the king, the consequence was the death penalty. So for Esther to go before the king without being asked by the king to come to him could have easily resulted in her death. Well, despite considerable risk in doing so, Esther approaches the king. She tells him what's going on. The king is shocked and dismayed by the story. He is furious with Haman, so furious that he has Haman hung by his neck by, in the, by the very gallows that were prepared for Mordecai. So Esther saves her people. There's one key verse in the book of Esther that is so relevant for us now in our own time of tumult. When Mordecai asked Queen Esther to go before the king, even though there was great risk in doing so, Mordecai conveyed through back channels to Esther these words. Mordecai said to the Queen Esther, Maybe, just maybe, you were made for such a time as this. Maybe you were made for such a time as this. In other words, Esther was in the right place at the right time, despite the fact it was a terrible time. And as we know, Esther embraced this truth and changed the course of what happened to her fellow Jews. So many stories in Scripture reflect this idea across generations that person after person is in the right place at the right time for what is before them, even if it was a difficult time. Person after person was made for the time they were living with him. Briefly, take Mary Magdalene, for example. She had a horrendous life and a very challenging time. She was tormented by demons. One day, however, she met Jesus, and he healed her. And she spent her life following Jesus after that, which was not easy. 
then Jesus was crucified. You might even say that when Jesus died, everything went off the rails for Mary Magdalene. But on that first Easter morning, she went to Jesus' tomb and she encountered the risen Jesus. She was the first person to see him. And Jesus, as the story goes, says to Mary, Mary, you have seen me. You need to run and tell my followers what has happened. Mary does what Jesus asks. And it's so clear to me that Mary was at the right time and the right place for the moment she was living within, even if it was a difficult time. She was the first person to tell of the resurrection of Jesus. Well, these stories and so many others, I believe, invite us all to consider some things this morning. What if God invites you and me to consider the possibility in this time of tumult and upheaval and chaos what if God is asking us to consider that we might, in fact, be living at the right place at the right time right now? And what if, indeed, we are in the right time and place? And what if you and I are here for a specific purpose and it is no accident we are living at this point in history? What if you and I, in fact, were made for such a time as this? What if this means that we are not powerless, but have work to do in all the things that are the antithesis of what it means to follow Jesus? What if God invites us to be difference makers as he did through the lives of Mary Magdalene and Esther? What if God is wanting us to seize this passage of time we are living within as our time and the right time? And while we cannot change the world or what's happening at a national level, you and I and this chapel right now and all that are part of it can have a massive impact on those that are around us. We can show that there is a different way to live than what we are witnessing. While we do not have control over the many who have gone totally off the rails, even Christians, we can stay on track and be the passionate presence of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. We do not have to mirror what we are witnessing day in and day out at a local and national level. We do not have to be loud and contentious and angry and ticked off and ugly and acting mean and the antithesis of what it follows, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We can be civil, kind, giving, optimistic, hopeful, Loving in a world in which it doesn't feel that way sometimes. And what if, in fact, you and I were made for such a time as this, just as so many that have gone before us? It's my prayer that each of us will embrace the truth that we are indeed made for such a time as this and we are not an accident. We have a purpose. We have a purpose to be the presence of Jesus wherever we find ourselves to exude the peace of God wherever we find ourselves. We can be what we would like to see. We can step out of the fray. We can influence and be the presence of Christ. And we can feel empowered at this time and need not be derailed even while others are off the rails. One final thought this morning, and I don't mean to be trite in sharing this. Children's books are just for children, right? 
Well, I've learned over the years not to necessarily think so because sometimes I need to hear a message written for young children because the message is timeless. Remember this morning, I began talking about my love of trains of all sizes. And as I thought about trains, one of the earliest books read to me in probably like 1962 or something, read to me, came to mind. It was written in 1930, and you all know the book very well. The book is The Little Engine That Could by Waddy Piper. In the story, remember, there's a long train filled with toys and good things to eat for little children. The problem, however, is that the engine pulling the train breaks down and everyone is worried the train will not be able to make it over the mountain. And soon the dolls and the toys on the train, they're very concerned, but they see a brand new shiny engine and they beg the new engine to take the train over the hill. But the shiny engine says, I'm too important. I'm a passenger train engine. I certainly won't help you. And shortly thereafter, another engine passes by, but it too rejects the call for help, as does the next engine. But finally, they see a very small and insignificant blue engine. And the small engine makes a decision to do everything it can to help the dolls and toys over on the train and agrees to do its best to lead the train over the mountain. Well, as it chugs along, the little engine says to itself, I think I can. I think I can. It's as if the engine knew it was made for such a time as that, that it had a purpose, and that it was around for a reason, and that it could make a big difference, despite how the other engines were acting and behaving. And again, while I'm not trying to be trite with this story, I believe it's a great reminder to us that while the challenges and the mountain before us can feel insurmountable at times, we are made for such a time as this. And if we think we can, with God's help, we can be the presence of Jesus wherever we find ourselves. And it's my prayer that this brings you hope, confidence, a sense of empowerment and direction, and helps us all turn more vigorously to God. So it's my profound prayer that as the people of Snowmass Chapel, whether here in person or in New York City, that as people of faith, that we will help each other stay right on track and do what Jesus would have us do for such a time as this. Amen. I invite us to a few moments of silent prayer.